You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Attraction. Attracting what is best for you into your life. The episode in question was entitled The Law of Attraction. And if you listened to that episode carefully, you would notice that the title was ever so slightly, just ever so gently, tongue-in-cheek. I referred to the law of attraction as the so-called law of attraction. Now, why am I revisiting this? Well, to my, I don't know whether it's horror or amazement, or I can't think of an apt word for it. I thought normal crazy people wouldn't surprise me anymore, but there you are. To my horror, I discovered in conversation with somebody just a few days ago that a couple of her friends, having heard that particular episode, rushed out and bought a book called The Secret. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? We, we know that if you say to yourself, I'm not going to smoke today, that the subconscious mind hears the word smoke and you actually crave a cigarette. Obviously, in exactly the same way, my words, and I'm going to quote my words word for word, when I talked about the book, The Secret, I said, I do not recommend that you buy that book. So obviously a couple of people heard, buy that book. The book, and indeed there is some semblance of science in parts of it, and there are some elements of truth in it. The book itself is a hodgepodge of stuff that when it is put together in the way in which normal crazy people interpret it, they assume that all they have to do is wish for something to happen or believe that something will happen, do nothing about it, and somehow by magic it will happen. The number of people over the years with whom I've had conversations about the so-called law of attraction I want you to make sure that you got the tongue-in-cheek bit, sarcasm bit there. The number of people that I've talked with about the so-called law of attraction over the years and how wrong they have got it bemuses me. Because even a normal crazy person knows that, uh, for example, if you want to win the lottery, you have to buy a ticket. If you want to grow cabbage in your garden, you have to plant a few seeds. If you want to have a successful business, you have to set it up in the first place. Now, the hint about what that episode was all about is in the three examples that I've just given you. In order to achieve anything at all, and I mean anything, even a peaceful Sunday dinner with the in-laws, to achieve anything at all in your life, you have to take action. You have to do something. You have to say something. Now, sometimes the something that you have to say is nothing, but that in itself is an action. 
I know when best to keep my mouth shut. And unfortunately, normal crazy people couldn't put their hand on their heart and say that. I ended that episode a couple of weeks ago by saying, this is a call to action. Now, the first action we need to take, you and I both know that this at this stage, is that you need every morning to meditate with regularity. Now, every morning would suggest with regularity, but I know some people don't meditate at the weekend and they get annoyed with themselves for doing that, which, of course, is absolutely and utterly not only counterproductive, but it encourages the self-limiting mind to further self-limit. Some people won't meditate when they're on holidays, and that's okay too. Not because you're more relaxed on holidays, because we live in a holiday destination here, and an awful lot of the people whom we see getting stressed out trying to enjoy their two weeks are stressed out. They're not relaxed at all. But it's all right to miss your meditation on your holidays for the simple reason that you're out of your routine. So again, if you've been away for a week or two and are listening to this, or if, for example, you didn't meditate over the Christmas break last year. Now, I know we're a long way from Christmas at this stage, but I talked to somebody recently who was still berating themselves about the fact that they didn't meditate between Christmas and the new year. Last year. Talk about living in the now. Any of these little instances where we are knocked out of our routine doesn't matter. What always matters is we come back to taking real action. And you can, as a person with a brain that was given you by evolution, you can only take real action when you regularly start your day by taking right action. That is meditation. Meditation develops mindfulness. And mindfulness when allied to your goals and objectives, delivers results. You might listen to that again. Mindfulness on its own, I suppose, is better than mindlessness. Let's tease that one apart for just a minute. Because if all the research over the last countless number of decades at this stage is correct, 96% of people, give or take a, a half percentage point here or there, 96% of people are what I have regularly described as normal crazy people. And what I technically mean by that, because it's not a throwaway remark, is that they are not in control of their own state of mind because they have ceded control of their own state of mind without knowing that they have ceded that control to their mind's automatic pilot that has been running their lives on a daily basis in exactly the same way since the onset of puberty. So if you're not in control of your own state of mind and something else is controlling you, is that sanity or is it insanity? Because it's either one or the other. In exactly the same way, some people say, oh, I'd like to be, I, I'd like to develop mindfulness. I'd like to be a bit mindful. And I say to them, no, you're either mindless, 96% of people to whom I just referred, or you're mindful. Mindfulness is a little like pregnancy. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You either are or you aren't. In exactly the same way, if you're not mindful, you are mindless. There's no grey in between. You're either present and focused, and through your presence, 
attractive to all good things for you in the here and now, or you are missing in action in this moment, because it is a moment to moment thing. In other words, you could say to yourself, well, I've been mindful for most of the day and I had my moments of mindlessness, as most people only being human will. But that doesn't mean you're kind of mindful or partly mindful. It means that at nows during the course of your day, you were wholly immersed in the here and now. You were, through your presence, doing the right things and attracting to yourself the right opportunities and synchronicities. And as we discussed over the last few weeks, through your presence, actually creating opportunities and creating synchronicities by simply turning up to your life. It is that simple. Or is it? Because we need to tease this one out as well, because an awful lot of people will say to me, oh, mindfulness is wonderful. And again, you know, like the Law of Attraction or the book that I recommended that you do not buy a couple of minutes ago, all of that literature gives people a rather simplistic and superficial Oh, I couldn't even call it understanding of how the universe actually works in exactly the same way. Everything that has been written and said about mindfulness in the mainstream media and in a lot of social media is misleading because essentially mindfulness is sold, if I can use that word, on the basis of you being relaxed and calm simply in the present moment. That sounds somewhat similar to what I said a couple of minutes ago, that when you are in the present moment, through your presence, you become attractive and you do the right things and you create the right opportunities and synchronicities. But it's through the doing in each moment as a result of your presence that those things are created. It isn't as a result of you simply being in the moment. Let me explain further. You could practice meditation every day. I've recommended it. And it would make no difference in your daily life. I recollect a conversation many years ago with a client. The day I met him for the first time, he told me that before he met me, he had been meditating for 26 years. He said to me he was meditating religiously every day. That's another discussion, by the way. We'll touch on that some other time. But he said he was meditating religiously every day because in his younger days, he had taken a trip to India to be taught the ways of transcendental meditation. So using that particular tradition or methodology, he would meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening using his mantra. Now, over the years, that became simply 20 minutes in the morning. 20 minutes in the morning is better than no minutes in the morning. Or is it? Because he said to me, I never looked on meditation as a tool to develop the kind of focus that would enable me to be happy and successful. I looked on it as a means of simply relaxation at the outset, of de-stressing. When I started at first, I'll come back to that in a minute. And later on, I looked on it as something that I simply had to do, quote unquote, religiously on a daily basis. He said, I never realized 
the importance of meditation. I never realized the fundamental need that we all have to take charge of our own state of mind, to wrest control of our own state of mind from the automatic pilot that has been running our lives, obviously automatically, since the onset of puberty. He said, if I had known that 26 years ago, my life might have been completely different. Now, that's one of these what if or if only statements, and they're all useless, obviously. You know, you are where you are. It is what it is. And what matters, as I said a few minutes ago, is what you do in the here and now. But he concluded his reflection on his 26 years of meditation by saying to me, now that I have understood the importance of meditation, now that I understand what meditation does to the very physical brain that I have, so that in restructuring the brain, it completely changes the way I use my mind, experience my life, do what I need to do to get to where I want to go. Now that I've experienced that, and by the way, as I said to you a couple of minutes ago, this was the first morning that we had met. We'd meditated together just before lunch, and he had had a totally different experience as a result of the conversation we had had beforehand, where I had explained to him the need that we all have to take charge of our own state of mind. He reflected, as I said a moment ago on this, and the ultimate conclusion of his reflection was, you know what, he said to me, I probably would have got more relief and on some mornings more satisfaction out of sitting there for 20 minutes scratching my backside. You have to meditate in the right way in the context of an understanding of how vitally important it is that you turn up to your own life. And armed with that presence of mind, you do what you need to do to get to where you want to go. Through his practice, he was developing mindfulness. Coming back to the point I made a few minutes ago in relation to the amount of misleading nonsense that has been written about mindfulness. He was relaxed. He'd be relaxed for 20 minutes. Most days, some days his mind would jump through hoops and hop around like a Mexican jumping bean, and he'd be more frustrated after the 20 minutes than he had been before they even started. But most of the time, his practice relaxed him a little bit and developed a bit of mindfulness. Now, the University of Massachusetts Medical School's definition of mindfulness is deliberately paying an unusual amount of conscious attention to the reality of the moment non-judgmentally. That definition, and by the way, the University of Massachusetts Medical School is significant because that is where mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy was originally developed by John Kabat-Zinn in the late 1980s. He is responsible for better or for worse for the publicity that mindfulness has subsequently received. The good, the bad, and mainly the indifferent or misleading publicity that it has received. Because most people think, and we know from previous conversations that thinking is a very dangerous thing, we know that most people think that mindfulness is a state of mind where you will be peaceful, you will be calm, and you won't suffer stress. 
The problem, of course, with that is that you could meditate for 10 or 15 minutes, feel that way in 10 or 15 minutes later, because you have just encountered a normal, crazy person, you are stressed all over again. Mindfulness on its own will not change your life. Go back to what I said a few minutes ago in relation to presence of mind and how through our presence of mind, we become attractive to opportunities and synchronicities. We become, we, we, we attract people into our life or bits of information into our life or coincidences into our life that change our lives, that move them in the right direction. What I actually said was that armed with that presence, you do just what you need to do. So that's the action that I talked about earlier on, the real action. You do just what you need to do to get to where you want to go. <laughs> the sting is in the tail because mindfulness on its own will not enable you do that. Most of the mindfulness that is taught, all of the mindfulness that is taught through the eight-week mindfulness program that is so common, particularly in the United States and Europe, none of that will get you to where you want to go. It won't alter your life because all you're developing is your ability to be present and calm normally for only the time that you are practicing being present and calm. There's a big lump missing out of how mindfulness is taught, and that is the where you want to go bit. And that is why this episode is called Applied Mindfulness. I had an email from an online program owner a couple of weeks ago who is in the early stages of the online program. Now, the early stages of the online program could be depressing if you were minded that way because they basically drag the online program owner through the scientific treacle of how the normal mind works. That is akin to the conversation that I had with my friend a number of years ago that morning before he meditated with me for the first time. It is necessary for us to understand, first of all, how the normal mind works against its user. And it is imperative that we understand that until we take control of our state of mind so that it begins to work for us, nothing will change in our lives. But once we begin to understand the significance of that, and once we begin to experience the difference as a result of regular meditation, it obviously and inevitably occurs to us that I need now not just to be mindful, but I need to be mindful with my purpose or my objective, or my goal in mind. I used to call it purposeful mindfulness, but that's a bit of a mouthful. I used to call it purposeful focus, actually, before mindfulness became something that people understood or misunderstood at all. Uh, and it's interesting because the Oxford English Dictionary definition of focus is almost identical to the University of Massachusetts Medical School definition of mindfulness. You know, people often say to me, oh, should I focus on my goals? Or as somebody said to me recently, I'm very focused on my objectives. You can't focus on your goals or objectives because focus is a now thing. And your goals are something that you have set and have in your mind for future achievement. Focus actually means paying all of your attention to the here and now in exactly the same way as mindfulness means paying all of your attention to the here and now. 
that, as I said a moment ago, is pure mindfulness. Applied mindfulness is paying all of your attention to the here and now, mindful of what you are endeavoring to achieve, mindful of the goals that you would love to achieve, mindful of the kind of life experiences that you would love to have loads of in your life, mindful of what I call your perfect moments. Now, we've talked about perfect moments before. A perfect moment, and it's only a phrase, you know, people get hung up on my suggesting that you should be seeking perfection. That's not what I'm talking about at all. As an online program owner, beautifully put it on uh, one of our Wednesday evening Zooms a couple of months ago. You could have a perfect moment now, you know, beautiful sunrise or a lovely Sunday dinner with the in-laws, as I mentioned earlier on, or, you know, just a moment where you're with your loved ones or you're on your own and it strikes you that all is well. That's a perfect moment. But as the person, as the online program owner on Zoom said, and the next minute you could have a normal crazy person hanging out of you again or something would have happened that would have taken you away from that feeling. Now, it hasn't taken away the experience of the perfect moment because we live our lives moment to moment. But let me come back to why I use the phrase perfect moment and why I have for years, for over 27 years and in the last five years with online program owners, encouraged all my clients and online program owners to handwrite perfect moments because that's how we set our mind. So when I used the phrase a couple of minutes ago that applied mindfulness is being wholly present and fully focused in the present moment, mindful of your goals and objectives, that is because you have set your mind to a particular outcome or perfect moment. Now, you don't need to be thinking of the perfect moment in this moment for the simple reason that if you did, you wouldn't be in the present moment. Let me put that in a different way, in a practical way. Somebody a couple of weeks ago said to me that they had written their first grand perfect moment. Now, online program owners, if you are one, you'll immediately know what I'm talking about. And they said to me, do I need to read that and reread that on a regular basis? Or do I put it away? I said, you handwrite it. You don't even need to reread it once. You fold up the piece of paper on which you handwrote it and you put it away, perhaps in a book, for not for safekeeping. Your, your mind is already doing that for you. But you just file it away because it is done. Because once you handwrite a perfect moment, as if you're already experiencing that perfect moment, the subconscious mind, the subcortical brain, specifically the hippocampus in the subcortical brain, takes a psychological snapshot as if you're already there and you experience it emotionally in your hippocampus as if it is real to the extent that being a psychological snapshot, it becomes a part of your belief system. So when you turn up to the next here and now, you already know deep down 
because it's already stored as a program in your subcortical brain. You already know what you want out of today or out of this year or out of your life, you know, from a health point of view, from a fitness point of view, from a career, from a business point of view, from a relationship point of view, from any perspective. Once you have set your mind to a perfect moment, you put it away and then you further enhance your ability to be present in the here and now, first of all, through your regular meditation, but through the course of the day, reminding yourself to be present in the moment so that you take right action. I'll come back to right action in a future episode. So that you take right action in the here and now to enable you effortlessly move towards the perfect moment which your subcortical brain has already seen and felt you experiencing. That's how the whole thing actually works. Online program owners will know from very early on in the online program that I talk about the so-called two-piece jigsaw. Number one, I need to turn up to the here and now. Number two, I need to know why I have turned up to the here and now. The turning up is developed through meditation, through restructuring the brain as a result of meditation. And knowing why I've turned up to the here and now is dealt with by you taking a psychological snapshot of the things that you would love to experience, the perfect moment or perfect moments in your life. It is as easy as that. But once again, once again, it is a call to action. Remember what I said. When you're present, through your presence, you are able to take real action. You're able to do just what you need to do in the here and now to get you to where you want to go. The just word is very important. You just do what you need to do and you forget the rest. If you just do what you need to do, you take all the effort and struggle and stress out of doing what you need to do. Indeed, parking your thinking mind, we had an episode a couple of weeks ago called putting your thinking mind in neutral or words to that effect. When you park your thinking mind or put it in neutral, you take all stress and struggle away anyway, because it is only thought that gives rise to stress, struggle, and you're saying to yourself, I can't do this or I'll put off that. When we develop our ability to be present through meditation, we put our thinking mind in neutral. We develop our ability to be present. We develop our ability to be mindful. And by taking a psychological snapshot of that which we would love to achieve today, this week, this month, this year, this life of ours, you are now, as a result of your mindfulness, applying your mindfulness to the here and now. Applied mindfulness will get you not just to where you want to go, but to where is best for you. And it will enable you get there joyfully and effortlessly. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willy-hoyle.com.